In chapter 2 of Matthew, we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. The word of our Lord from the Gospel says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there till I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. O God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only Son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence, where we may see your glory face to face. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. When looking at the story of the coming of these wise men, we find a, a curious story and we find a quite mysterious story and we do right by answering a number of questions. This morning I want to look firstly at 
who they were. And it's important that we know those things that we do not know about who they were so that we can then determine, okay, what is it that we do know about who they were? We, quite frankly, just don't know who they were. Um, We don't know all that much about them precisely. Um, We read perhaps that they are wise men. We sing, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts, we travel so far. The word is actually magi, um, from which we get the word magician or magic. Um, Were these magicians? Were these wise men? Were they kings? We have nothing really that leads us to believe that they are royalty. Um, Perhaps they were astronomers. They're following the leading of a star. They apparently have... um, some sense of wealth in the ancient world. Their gifts that they bear would lead us to believe that, as well as their ability to travel from far away to come to Jerusalem to, uh, to find this one that they were so enamored with who has been born king of the Jews. We don't know how many there were. Again, we sing, we three kings. We don't know that there were three. We simply appropriate the number three Uh, to them because they brought three gifts. We don't know if each one bore uh, one gift or if perhaps there were two guys each carrying these gifts. There could have been 20. We don't know. We don't know from where they set out. In other words, we don't know what they called home. It's been speculated that perhaps these were Persian men who, who had come from the land of Persia. But we don't know that definitively. And we really don't know when they came. Most nativity sets would have them present with the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. If you've watched the movie, The Nativity Story, it actually has a pretty interesting rendition where you've got the wise men and the, and the, uh, or the magi uh, and the shepherds arriving together um, by the leading of a star. Um, that's an interesting theory, but Matthew makes it a point to tell us that they arrived to a house where the young child was. And he says that this is after his birth uh, in verse 1. And so it doesn't seem that they were there the night that Jesus was born. Perhaps the star appeared the night he was born and they set out or set out in the days that followed. Some have speculated that perhaps Jesus was uh, up to two years old, maybe maybe they came far later after his birth, and Jesus is all toddling around and perhaps even talking. Um, that doesn't seem to, in my mind at least, doesn't seem to um, come to grips with the fact that Herod has all those male children too and under slaughtered, uh, because perhaps perhaps they're off by a day, and we've killed those that are two and under, and. He's two in maybe a day, two in a week, or two in a month. Um, and so it seems, it seems uh, that Jesus was not a newborn when they arrived, but he was probably not quite two years old. Perhaps he was just a few months old. Perhaps he was just as old as it took for them to travel from Persia or wherever from the east that they had come. But there's a lot about them we don't know. But there are some things about them we do know. We know that they are magi and that they are from the east. Whatever magi were in the ancient world, 
whether uh, they simply were philosophers or astronomers or magicians, they were magi, and they came from the east. They traveled a great distance to see this newborn king. We know that because of that, they were Gentiles. They were not Jewish by birth. And that's good news. Uh, that's good news to us because what we find here is a king who has been born who's king of the Jews, but he was born for the entire world. He's born for the entire human race. And so these Gentiles come from the east to pay homage to him. We know that they're led by a star, as Matthew tells us. Perhaps they knew to be looking for, for this star from their reading of the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. We don't know. Uh, we don't know what tipped them off about the star. We don't know how big it was. We don't know how fast it was moving. Uh, but we do know that they came. And we do know that they were not Jewish by birth. And we do know that their gifts that they bore to Christ, the child, were of deep significance. Another question that we ought to consider is why they came. They came... They said, searching for the one who's been born, king of the Jews. But they were not themselves Jewish. So they came for an even bigger reason than that. They came because this one was king of the Jews, but they came because also he was the savior of the world. Their story opens up the gospel, the good news of God's redemption, not just for Israel, but it opens it up for all of humanity. All throughout the Old Testament, you have a, obviously a focus upon the Jewish people. You have a focus upon what it is to live the Hebrew life. What it is to trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But also all throughout the Old Testament, you have hints and you have murmurings and you have whispers that God is going to do far more than just rescue His people. He's going to rescue the whole of His people. Israel is a type of the world. Israel is a type of all created beings in the image of God. And so through Israel, God brings the Messiah so that the whole world might be saved. They were divinely led. God drew them to Bethlehem. He drew them by a star, but He drew them also by something within them that was yearning. Something within them that said, we ought to stop and we ought to take note of what's happening. It's a fascinating story. These mysterious men come bearing these mysterious gifts and they show up because a star has led them. And we don't know where they've come from. We don't know who they are. But we do know what they gave. What they gave were gifts of value. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, a number of things are going wrong this morning. My computer, I forgot to plug in the power cord and it starts telling me that the battery is going dead and I thought, goodness gracious, that's after a candle turned into a flame torch, um, which some of you guys noticed. These candles actually are made with frankincense, myrrh, and a little bit of gold. And that gold is apparently flammable. Um, get enough gold hot enough, it 
burst into flames. But they came bearing these precious gifts, these gifts of value. And these gifts of value, these precious gifts, point beyond themselves. They're kind of like signs. You've heard me harp on what a sign is an awful lot over these last couple of years or more. Uh, a sign is something that has value in and of itself. It is what it is, but it points beyond itself. Which is why John, in his gospel account, refuses to call the miracles miracles. He says they are signs. They're pointing to some reality about who Jesus is. The Word made flesh dwelling among us. And these gifts are kind of like signs. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are they? Why are they significant? Gold is a gift fit for a king. It's something of precious worth, of precious value. It is given to a king to rule. And so they come bearing gold, bearing their value to the Christ child. For he has been born king of the Jews. Frankincense is a very uh, a very valuable uh, fragrance and spice in the ancient world. Uh, it was used by priests to intercede. You know, the uh, incense in the Old Testament is a reminder of the prayers of God's people constantly going up to the Father, filling the room with smoke, filling the room with a beautiful and lovely fragrance. You know, when we see an Eastern um, uh, or a, uh, a Roman worship service and we see them carrying the incense we think what in the world are they doing well they're 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 worshiping as the the jews would have worshiped with the incense filling the room but that incense was a reminder of the prayers of god's people it was a reminder of of those who are making intercession for the world and israel was called to be a kingdom of priests a kingdom of intercessors, a kingdom that stood between God and His world, a kingdom that was established in the world so that the world might be redeemed by the true King. And so the wise men, these magi, they come bearing their gifts, they bear gold, they bring frankincense, for this is one who has been born as a high priest, one who has been born to make intercession for humanity. Before God. And they come bearing the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming spice. Like frankincense. It had a very, uh, a, a very lovely smell. Uh, it's much more subtle than the smell of frankincense. If you want to smell like gold and frankincense and myrrh smell like burning. Then um, you can step up and smell the, the candle after service. But myrrh is a, it's a more subtle scent than frankincense. Christ was foretold to have come to fulfill the roles of prophet, priest, and king for Israel to be the one who would, uh, who would encapsulate all three of those uh, positions in Israel's history. And the prophet, what was common about a prophet in the Old Testament, was that a prophet didn't last very long because he foretold God's word to his people. And interestingly enough, rebellious people don't like hearing that they're rebellious. 
rebellious people don't like being compared to cows who you can't get to cross the road. The chicken crossed the road. Why can't the cow cross the road? You got to drag him. And so a prophet um, is is in some ways symbolized in this in this gift of myrrh, for he was one who was born to die. He was born as one who had proclaimed the good news of redemption to the world through his own death. They came bearing these gifts of value and they came bearing these gifts of deep and profound significance. Deep and profound significance for Israel and deep and profound significance for the world. They came. They bore gifts. And in the bearing of their gifts and in their coming, we catch a sense of the irony that is the gospel. You know, Paul said that the gospel is like foolishness to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling stone for Israel and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. It, it seems impossible, impossibly good news. Part of the irony is that this is Israel's king, but he's come to be the world's redeemer. These ones came from afar while a nation a nation ignorantly sleeps while its king, which has been foretold for thousands of years, has been born. And this good news of the king's arrival is met with paranoia, rage, and violence. The birth of this one was met with the murder of countless ones. These are gifts that are brought for a baby, but they are appropriate for one who would rule, one who would intercede, and one who would ultimately die. There's an awful lot of irony at play in this story because there's an awful lot of irony at play in the gospel. The coming of the Magi present to us also a challenge, a challenge that is Christmas. Christmas declares to us that the King has arrived, that the Lord has arrived, and it demands that we answer the question, who is Lord? Is Caesar Lord? Is Herod Lord? Some of the older writers, Bonhoeffer and many others way before him, even in the early church, they spoke of Christmas as being the judgment of God. Christ came to judge the world. Not in a condemning sort of way, but in an exposing sort of way. You know, we speak of uh, courage being tried and fortitude being tried. We speak of you know, football teams as they meet on the, the gridiron of of their their metal being tried. You know, what do you really have in you when the when the uh the tough times come? And Christmas exposes the world for what it is. It exposes the world's loyalties. Who is Lord? It exposes the world's might for what it is. 
What will our response be? It exposes the world's wrath. We read of Herod in his paranoia and in his rage wreaking violence on Bethlehem and all the districts that surround it. And it seems completely unheard of. It seems completely ridiculous. It seems completely pointless. But his power and his might, his loyalties, his wrath are exposed. That's what God coming into the world does. It exposes what's there. It challenges. In this story of the coming Magi, makes a demand upon us. Because to declare that the Lord has been born, to declare joy to the world, to declare the birth of of the Christ child is to demand a response from us. What will we bring? Will we bring Him our gifts? Will we bring Him our loyalties? For He is King and there is no other. Will we in doing so bring Him our submission? Your servant awaits you, dear Lord. Will he, we bring Him our efforts? You know, it's, it's easy to kind of go tit for tat with the, with the Magi and say, okay, well they traveled, are we willing to travel? Well, they, they brought gold, are we willing to bring gold? But the simple fact is, these men we know very little about traveled some distance, they gave up their time, they gave up their, their, their efforts, they gave up their conveniences to travel, to pay homage to this one who was born. Which ought to inspire in us the question, what am I giving? What am I surrendering? What am I submitting? What effort am I putting in? If He is Lord... That makes demands upon our stuff, our time, our energy, and our things. The gospel is the good news for the entire world. And in just two days... Christmas season will end. It's still the 11th day of Christmas. There's one more day. And on Tuesday, January the 6th, is the holiday Epiphany. In the Eastern world, that's when they celebrate Christmas. There's a bit of division over when the, uh, the dates should have been, um, uh, what, what dates were, should have been Christmas in the early church. But Epiphany is the time where we say that Christ has been manifest to the entire world. Christ is not some national Messiah. He is a global Redeemer. He has come to save not just Israel, but to include the Gentiles in that salvation. And He was visited by Gentiles. The Greeks came to Him 
throughout the Gospels to meet with Him. After the church's initial years of growth, Paul was raised up to be the apostle to the Gentile world. And that's when the growth of the church really began to blaze. He came to redeem us. He came to redeem our neighbors. He came to redeem the world. He is a king. He is the king who has come to lay down his own life for his kingdom. He is the king that goes before us into battle. He does not wait in the back and send us in. He leads us. And he leads us into a life of self-submission. He leads us into a life of self-surrender. He leads us into a life that is oriented toward others. The whole purpose of His coming. The whole story is about the fact that God loved the world so much that He gave. And the only appropriate response to that is to love Him enough to give ourselves to Him. Let's pray.